the Radical Secular Podcast, a demand for justice, equality, and rational public policy. Subscribe at YouTube, Apple Podcasts and all the major podcast channels. Visit our website at theradicalsecular.com for articles, insights, and our complete library of episodes. Support us on Patreon and follow us on social media. Hello and welcome back to the Radical Secular Podcast. I'm Christoph Defoe. I'm Sean Prophet. And I'm Joe Kipinti. It's our first episode during Women's History Month, and our guest segment today features the conversation I had with my friend Liz Wilson, an artist, a mom, and a passionate progressive. Liz and I discussed the importance of the art to human experience, as well as the uncompensated labor women perform in our patriarchal culture. We also reacted to the assault on democracy that's unfolding in Ukraine. But before we get to that conversation, you'll hear from Joe, Sean, and me about how we're thinking about the war in Ukraine. But first, I want to remind you that if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out our Patreon, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels, and we publish new articles regularly at our journal at theradicalsecular.com. The Radical Secular Podcast is brought to you by Cannibal & Co., located in downtown Jersey City and at shopcannibal.com. Cannibal, that's Cannibal with a K, stocks a rotating collection of goods ranging from apparel and accessories to home furnishings and fine jewelry. Cannibal weaves together its forward-thinking vision with its traditional roots to provide an expertly curated experience of unique and locally sourced finds. We're grateful to Cannibal for sponsoring our show. Okay, let's get into the t-shirts, guys. Joe, let's start with you. Well, I'm sure I like many of you guys here who are listening have, remember the X-Files from the 1990s? Oh, yeah, definitely. I enjoyed the show myself, but it, it, it does provide a cautionary tale for us today. Scully, remember the Scully, the rational agent one, the scientist, uh, came to see the truth that the imaginary mythical monsters, demons, ghosts, and aliens were indeed out to get us, and they are actually real, and the government's covering the whole shit up, right? (laughs) And now, 20 years later, you know, we have tens of millions of Americans who believe all that stuff. And that gullibility is, you know, it is what it is, but it's also been leveraged by authoritarians in our midst to rise to power. And that's the problem, because the real monsters aren't the ghosts and the demons. It's those who seek to destroy the progress humanity has made in the last century. And and we should be wary of them. Our show is about a reasoned approach to a better world, and that includes exposing the true dangers that lurk in the shadows. The Orwellian ascendancy of the 21st century authoritarians is really what we're after here. The great liars of our age, those those are the ones we have to worry about. And we need to be sober to do so. So this T-shirt, you know, kind of speaks to that. But I just want to see you guys to know that underneath it here, I've got my sign shirt on. Just, just saying. Okay. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice, very nice. I love Double the stacking the, today. Double <laughs> stacking. Totally the one, the one-two punch. I love it. <laughs> How about you, Sean? Well, I have my "I stand with Ukraine" shirt. Mm. And that's very on the nose, of course. I was trying to get the one that said, Russian worship, go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, and there are that quite a few of those awesome. out there, actually. And uh, one of them being made by a, a friend of the show whose name is Elizabeth Torres. And, but she is uh, in Europe, and so it's not going to get here in time. So I figured I would just wear this one. 
<laughs> very nice. Very, very nice. Definitely on the nose. Um, and I am wearing my Wonder Woman shirt. Very uh, cool. And uh, I, it's apropos uh, given our guests today. Um, and we had a great conversation, which I'm looking forward to uh, sharing with you all. Um, and look, the, the, the truth is... Um, and look, this is the image also that is uh, that is for the show, right? The showrunner image that we have is also is this woman um, in the military in the Ukraine army with her, you know, her hair pulled back and and the little Ukrainian flag, and uh, and and it just seems so such a perfect photo to think about because and there's many women that are up there fighting on the front lines, right? That picked up uh, Kalashnikovs and they're out there and they're fighting, and it's just it just it just. We men don't even have that anymore where we protect. We're the protectors. Right. You know, like <laughs> right? women have been doing everything else for so long. Um, and now women are also doing that. And I just I just want to on this Women's History Month, uh, just really praise the women that are in our lives and that are running, running shit. And and more importantly, uh, these wars reflect how much we need a different perspective um, there would be a lot fewer of these, I believe, if we had women, if there were a good, a real 50-50 split in, in, in leadership. Um, so, uh, but anyway, speaking of which, let's just get into the Ukraine conversation. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, so I guess maybe we'll start with you, Joe. Uh, anybody, really, I, I don't really have a prompt <laughs> other than to say, like, where are you with this? Like, how are you thinking about this? Shoot, Joe, go. Well, I mean, imagine just just not that long ago, this wasn't even in the radar for most people. Almost no one, mm. right? And all of a sudden, this explode this this uh, crisis exploded in our midst a week ago, right? Started a week ago, and and you know, I'm looking at this, and I'm just it's so tragic. It's so tragic because yeah, I I mean, I love the fact that everyone's cheering and everyone's rooting for the Ukraine, and people are making fun of the Russians, and I love all that. It's awesome, but the truth. The, the reality here is that Russia is a far more powerful, uh, you know, entity than the Ukraine. And they're going to absolutely devastate that country, it looks like. I, I mean, I've been reading up on, like, experts and, and analysts, particularly uh, people who understand the situation and understand uh, Putin and his thing. And they're all saying the same thing, united. It's like Putin is not going to give in here. He's not going to give in. Mm-hmm. He he's he's all in. And if he were to give in, it would de- de- legitimize his regime quite a bit. And that's the last thing he wants. Mm-hmm. I mean, notice. I don't know if you guys caught this, but when the first hint of the the, the the thermonuclear threats that came from Russia from Putin, they happened right after the West began to sanction the oligarchs and his money. Right. That's what really mm-hmm. motivated that, because that the, it really is a it really is a corrupt, uh, you know, klepto autocracy. It really is. And these these guys, these these men, starting with Putin, really just are on top of their world and they're controlling it with their you know, 600 foot yachts. And they, you know, these oligarchs and they just are doing What's good for them? And, uh, yeah. you know, the, you know, he's playing the patriotic card. He's doing all that, which you need to do as a dictator. Uh, but <laughs> ultimately, what's going to stop him? 
and he's already put so much into this war. He staked so much on it that I don't know how he'll how, how we're going to get out of this without an absolute humanitarian disaster of the highest proportion. And so that's very, very sad. It's very depressing. It is. It is. Sean, do you want to jump in here? Yeah, I have so many thoughts and so many things to say, but I won't. Go for it, man. Go for I it. I wanted to start out by by saying here, here about the women and uh, everything <clears throat> you said about them. Uh, women make life worth living. I don't know if I'd want to be in this world without them. Mm. And uh, they are doing it's and it's so much more than just being here for men. It's what they do for the world. And of course, they gave birth to <clears throat> all of us. And there it is there. There is so much of a need to express a greater appreciation for women across the board and also to uh, walk the talk, you know, instead of just having it be talk. So <clears throat> I think it's it's abundantly clear that we would have less war in the world. Um, not that women can't be warriors, <laughs> like you said, and not that they're, right. That's those two different things. That there right. haven't been historically, you know, when when you know, if it were only women in the world, there would be, you know, there would be uh, corruption and war and everything else. It's not that. It's just that in a in in the world that we have, there is such an opportunity here for uh, for mitigation and for for justice and for women because women uh they did get have the experience of giving birth most women <clears throat> and so they understand about nurturing life and their solutions that they tend to come up with tend to be more humanitarian in general whereas mm. the men are traditionally the ones who are going out and 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 defending and fighting and all of that and uh, men are are more comfortable with the idea of killing uh as a means of of protection so it's there's just a whole different uh, approach here. And I think, yeah, you know, that's, well, that's what progressives are trying to do is to bring more women into power for that reason, because we see that everything is connected uh, and not in a conspiratorial sense, but everything is connected in terms of because <laughs> I know that's one of the three tenets of conspiracies. Right. But in a real sense, uh, when you get w more women in power, you tend to have this uh, a better consensus. So what? Well, I just want to say that in the 1990s, this was discovered by the development community to empower women was to improve societies across the board. And it, it, the data is really solid on this. You empower women at all levels, not just the leaders, not just the presidents, you know, but just at all levels, right? From the, from the most intimate level to the top, you help women empower themselves. I should say more than that. Micro, micro uh, loans, all that stuff, right? To, and, yes. and all of a sudden, society gets better. It's, it's like, it's amazing. It's yeah. like they discovered this and this has been the model uh, in the world, in the development world for a long, long time. And it really what does work. And so we need to adopt it in our own society. You know, we are a developed country, but women, yeah. um, for whatever reason, whatever reason, right? They're, they're more sensible and more practical in many ways than men are. Right. And you mentioned a few reasons, Sean, but whatever they may be, they're more sensible about the bread and butter issues, about the nurturing issues. And so not that man, men can't be, they certainly can. And many of them are, but it just happens to work out, out that way. So the more women we have in leadership, certainly a parity will be great. And the United States doesn't have a really high level of number of women in leadership compared to other countries, actually. Um, 
Right. That's and, and right. Certainly Russia that's doesn't. Right. That's totally right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, this, the Soviet Union was, I think, more friendly to women. And Russia Absolutely. has now become Absolutely. openly hostile. I mean, it was only five years ago or so that the Russian parliament uh, rubber stamped uh, a law that allowed domestic violence to occur. And this was after having had very strong protections for women, all of a sudden they're going backwards. They're literally passing a law mm -hmm. saying that now it's OK again and that uh, men are not going to be punished for for this domestic violence that is so rampant in that country. Rampant. You know, you know, what's really interesting, guys, and what you're saying right there, that sort of going backwards, as you're talking about there, uh, Sean, maybe think of it. And that is Russia right now as it stands is, and I've been thinking about this all week, is the future of the United States. If you want to see what a future dystopian United States looks like, go to Russia. It's not like every, it's not like there is, uh, it's not like Brave New World or something like that, right? It's just basically a kleptocracy, right? Most people are able to sort of get by uh, as long as you don't talk about the talk about the government, right? There is a bunch of very, very powerful, powerful uh, sort of uh, power centers, um, if, if you just took Trump off the mm -hmm. leash and let him go, you get Russia. Yeah. That's what you yep. get. And so, and I think that that is a part of what this has, has, I hope that people can see that. I doubt that people can, but I really hope you can. Like, if you want, this is what, this is what modern kleptocracy slash strongman authoritarianism yeah. looks yeah. like. You can say, I was going to say, uh, uh, one thing to be aware of when you look at the uh, authoritarian side of the Republican Party is the absurdity. Like we saw this ridiculous outburst yes. during the State of the Union. We see the just the incredible disrespect, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The, uh, the, the making up of insane theories like Jewish space lasers and whatever other crazy things that the Republicans have said. It's just, a, <laughs> you know, it's multiple examples every single day. But this is if you talk to people who've lived in uh, totalitarian countries, that's what they say is that the absurdity right. of the power and the absurdity of the science denial and the transparency of the lies they know they're lying. You know they're lying. They know you know they're lying, and they're lying anyway. That's that was, I think, a Solzhenitsyn right. quote. <laughs> yeah, it is a good. Point. Great point. Absolutely, so important. And also, Christoph, to your point about Russia being our future, if we if we you know continue on this path, also Brazil comes to mind there for me. Like mm -hmm. we're really seeing oh, the Brazilification yes, yes, of yes. America right now. And and in fact, who is the only major legal global leader that's actually supporting Putin right now is, is uh, the Brazilian president, who himself is one of these same characters, one of these really right wing, yep. ultra right, you know, authoritarian strongmen types that you know, it, 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 there is not, like you, Sean, everything is connected, right? But some things are more connected than others, right? And, and mm -hmm. there's definitely a connection here, right? <laughs> there's definitely a connection. Uh, this has mm -hmm. been a global movement, not, and Russia is central yep. to that, but it's really been a, a loose global movement, a, certainly a global ideology to go back to this machismo power, totally. might is right kind of world. And it's it's terrifying for everybody else. I want I want to point out something yeah. that uh, I read this week. Not only the full hour speech that was made on February twenty fourth, announcing the war, but also there was another speech of mm. Putin's that I read where he was speaking to I believe Davos, and 
very, very long speech. And, you know, this is what a lot of people don't understand is that this man is very competent. He's, uh, he's very well educated. He's intelligent. And a lot of people look at him as a madman because his actions are insane. But if you actually look mm -hmm. through what he has been saying in, in his multiple speeches, uh, he spends a lot of time talking about gender ideology. He spends a lot of time talking about the weakness of the culture in the West. And one of his main goals, stated and unstated, is to uh, prevent that culture from taking root in Ukraine. He sees it as almost a personal insult that Ukraine is a society that is free, democratic, equal, all of those things that uh, we wish our country was. I mean, we wish America was like, I mean, you, no doubt Ukraine had some corruption and, and there's, there's always been, been corruption there left over from Soviet times and even, even, even now. But the fact is, is that it was moving towards a systems based approach in which equality was the principle, human rights were the principle. Absolutely, yeah. And this is something that, that, uh, is almost probably more, uh, threatening to Putin than having NATO on his doorstep is having an example that people can see within families. Cause there's a, remember there's a big shared family heritage between mm. Russia and Ukraine, yeah. the Slavic heritage. Yeah. There's, there's intermarriage, there's intermingling, there's travel. There's so all of that. So what would happen is if Ukraine is this prosperous, equal democratic country and with all these family ties to Russia, that's almost a bigger threat than NATO bombs and weapons because it, it undermines the legitimacy of this authoritarian and it's not not forget that it's a very yeah, young yeah, democracy sure. only 30 years you can't you got there's there has to grow it has to evolve mm -hmm. to 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 condemn it for mm -hmm. you know some you know corruption here and there it's just ridiculous right it is doing incredible it was doing incredibly well for the you know considering its history considering all the circumstances the the recentness of everything it's it was really doing amazingly well yeah i think that's right and and you know a good and that's why I think that the the outpouring of support for Ukraine has been mm -hmm. so hardcore, right? Like this is and this is what differentiates it from Afghanistan or from Iraq, right? Is that there is uh we like and we see ourselves there, right? We see for two things. We see ourselves in it. And second of all, like you to your point, Joe, is that it is like what a it is like a, like a a good story of democracy, right? And and on, I think what you're talking about there, Sean, in terms of that being the real threat to Putin, I think is very real. I've also recently watched, uh, listened to Pod Save the World, and they had one of the one of these guys who ha who's been on the ground in Moscow for a long time, and uh, and knows on Putin particularly. And as Putin has gotten increasingly isolated, he's gotten mm -hmm. increasingly nuts. So like, right? They they say that this is now basically like stage three Putin, right? Which where he is, he's been reading these insane books that, that this a whole idea that Ukraine doesn't, ex doesn't deserve to exist at all. Uh, right. Like he, and, um, and he's just sort of, uh, it just goes to show that the more a, a strong man isolates themselves like that and gets, they get crazier and crazier and crazier. And I just want to say one last thing. And, uh, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up is that yeah. let's talk about the racism, right? I mean, in terms of how this was covered, I just said, right? Yeah, we, um, right? Mm -hmm. We see ourselves in Ukraine, right? And you hear the people talking about it. And that would be one thing, but that really quickly becomes, um, you know, these aren't 
like you saw the racism at the border, right? At the at the checkpoints, right? And this is very, very real. I think that we can I think we can hold two ideas in our head at the same time. We can say um, Ukraine is a is we should all feel for Ukraine. We need to support Ukraine. This is a democracy that matters. But also there's some been some really racist ass shit around that. Um, let me no, shut I, up now. Yeah, Anybody I, else I, want to comment on anything? Joke. I concur 100 percent what you said, Christoph. I think that we need to face and like we've been talking about this forever, guys. Right. We need to look inside and face our in, in, in implicit and innate, you know, racism. And we all, because this is, we were, we're embedded in this culture. We grew up in this culture. We grew, the whole civilization arose out of an extremely racist history. And so the idea that we should just like ignore all that and say, oh, it's not, we're not being racist. You know, no, we, we now there's an opportunity to, to look within and grow and evolve as, as you mean, we take it, right? And this is one of them. Like, yes, there is an unfairness to it. Countries of color don't get the same compassion and, and attention. They just don't. And I mean, yeah. that that's not debatable. I mean, it, it's, it is a way. And, and so well, let's talk right, about right, it. Let's, right. let's confront that. Let's, let's grow as human beings around that. Don't get defensive, people. Don't like cringe. Don't like deny. You know, open your hearts and minds, for fuck's sake. I'm sorry. I've I, I had to deal yeah, with this. All well, that's that's well, absolutely right. And I, I wanted, I wanted to no, no, speak no. to also the irony that just two weeks ago on our last episode, we were covering this uh, Russian siege of Aleppo. And yeah. all of us, when we were talking about that, were saying, hey, these people are just like us. They're speaking English. They have the same technology we do. They were in a cosmopolitan mm -hmm. Uh, a multicultural society. All of those things make us feel like they are like us. However, they are not. They are uh, brown people, right? They are Muslims. They are part of a different culture. Mm -hmm. And that is a culture which a lot of Americans view as alien. Right. And so when uh, the question came up as to whether we were going to intervene in Syria, they were looked at as being the other, the lesser, like we don't have to you know, yeah. worry too much. And, and of course, right. the same problem here that we didn't want to be going directly up against Russia. Like NATO has, has avoided assiduously for decades getting into any direct conflicts. They've all been proxy wars. And so the idea that we would be trying to enforce a no-fly zone over Syria or, or, or Ukraine, for that matter, puts us in direct conflict to where we might be shooting down Russian planes and vice versa. And that could escalate extremely quickly. So I think that um, yeah. there are some, there, there are important <laughs> similarities and important differences between these, these things, but the racism part definitely plays a role into how enthusiastic yeah. I mean, we had standing mm -hmm. ovations on both sides of the aisle for uh, support for Ukraine, but you know, crickets on Syria. Yeah. So, and I just want to say quickly yeah. that yeah. everyone is, we're all alike. We're all like us, all humans, right? It's just the imagination, the, the mm. perceptions that differ. And there is mm -hmm. no difference between, you know, a crisis like this happening in Africa or in Latin America or in Europe or whatever. It, we, and ultimately, that is the truth of it. And we just have to grow and learn and get there, you know? Yeah. You know, one thing that that I and I wonder how you guys think about this, actually. So as a younger person and for a large part of my life, I've been I've been, you know, very into the idea of revolution. Right. Um, and at the older I get, 
um, I want I want revolution. I want radical change in some sense. But at the same time, I realize that you really upend like that kind of stuff upends people's lives, right? So, and with the the, the Ukraine situation, like we're talking about right now, right? Like I because precisely because of what we're talking about, that these folks live lives that are very very similar to ours in many many ways. Um, and it's like I can mm-hmm. picture myself, and we talk about this with Syria as well, right? It's like, can you imagine just what mm-hmm. it feels like to have the power go out? And how disruptive that is, and that's just, and that's power going out, yeah. not because of yeah. a bomb. It's just yeah. going out, right? Um, and when you radically change something, like right, uh, you really the people who end up suffering always. the most are the poor people, always, always yeah. right? And typically poor brown people, right? That is that's what ends up happening. Yeah, my, my anyway, my, my, I I'm just like bursting at the seams on this one because <laughs> me too. The point is, is that, is that uh, <laughs> we talk about war crimes, right? We talk yeah. about bombing a hospital. We talk about bombing a kindergarten and cluster munitions and vacuum bombs and all these things. Okay, um, those are definitely war crimes. But what's also war crime is when you hit a dam and you take out a city's water source yeah. or you hit uh, the power plant right. and you've got That's people right. who are, mm-hmm. you know, they're on, they're on, they're on equipment. They're on essential, you know, there's essential electrical uses that, uh, you know, trains, transportation. I mean, you cut people off from being able to escape. There's all sorts of ways that, that war uh, is, is a crime against humanity and a crime against a civilization. And the worst part about this is that Ukrainians didn't do anything. I mean, they were just no, living their didn't. lives peacefully. They didn't no, attack they anybody. Really didn't. There's not even a pretext. And, <laughs> and, and looking at, at Putin and, and his pretext, right? You know, denazification. He's the fucking Nazi, yeah. right? Yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit later. He really is. But, yeah, Go for it. Really is. Want to, I do want to say something to you, Christoph, about the revolution thing, you know? And it, it, there is sort of this, like, I don't mm-hmm. know, sometimes it's just anger and frustration. You just want change, so let's have a revolution. Sometimes it's the glory and the, the, the you know, the romanticism of it. But I'll tell you, you know, like, even though I have a, such a bittersweet feeling about, like, you know, cheering for women fighting for war, I mean, yeah, great for women to have equality and, and have that. But at the same time, who wants, I don't want anybody to have to do that. I saw this, 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 this interview of this young woman, a Ukrainian woman. She must have been in her mid to late twenties and she had this, like, assault rifle in her hand and she was, like, crying and a little bit shaking a little bit and she was going off to fight. And she was a school teacher. She was an elementary school teacher. And, and, the, and you know, and the, the interviewer asked her, do you know how to use that weapon? She just said, no. <laughs> you know, she was sitting there with this fucking weapon in her hand and, and the wow. world expects her to fight. And she's a school teacher. She just wants to teach little children how to read. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like. <sighs> These are people right. with no choice. They, they have, have no, no choice. choice. And that's why we're seeing. And, and, and that's and, right. And yeah. I think, you know, yes, wonderful that they're point. fighting back. But damn, did they have to, you know? I mean, it's just awful. It really is awful. Um, I, I, I want to sort of flip the script a little bit here. Um, as we discussed in our last episode, yeah. hopelessness is very, very disempowering. Um, this is a really shitty situation, but let's try and get positive about it, right? So in what sense, if any, maybe there isn't, but in what sense should we be hopeful with respect to Ukraine? What is the silver lining here? Is there a silver lining here? Well, authoritarians shroud themselves with a veil of Orwellian-like deception. They don't need to fool everyone. They just need to fool enough people to turn the tide in their favor. The invasion of Ukraine by Russia may be lifting that veil, at least for some, exposing these charlatans for what they are, authoritarians and brutes. 
it's not just about Putin, it's about all those who supported him and his causes all these years, or even right here in the United States. Because of his blatant aggression, more people can now see through his bizarre claim that he's fighting anti-Nazi causes and all that. Um, but the world knows Zelensky isn't a fascist. Putin is. The world knows that. The, the, the alt-right has risen to power in our own society <laughs> with that same Orwellian shroud of deception. People like Tucker Carlson and others have gone to the top of their rankings, he himself having gathered, you know, the biggest audience in the news media, because he's accorded the freedom that exists in this nation. That's how he got there, through the freedom. And he, and he has risen to that level, to those heights, by leveraging <laughs> the false claim that freedom doesn't exist in this country for voices like his. So it's like up is down. For years, mm. the alt-right has also claimed that Ukraine is a corrupt nation and not a true democracy. This lies arose from their support of Putin and then all, Trump and the impeachment and all that. And so now they justify a powerful authoritarian state crushing yet another young democracy trying to establish himself. War is peace, right? But more are seeing yeah. through Mr. Carlson's ruse and, and people mm. like him. His support of, of Putin has exposed his deceptions. Perhaps more people will come to see that Tucker's unwavering support of laws that restrict the right to vote and undermine democracy does not make him a freedom fighter, but a syncophant playing, you know, playing mind games with us. They, <laughs> hopefully more people will come to see that the cause he serves is worse than nonsense. The tendrils of the alt-right have extended across our culture in every way possible. They are in ascendancy, as we've talked about. Now, a lot of people are beginning to see through their Orwellian deceptions because of this war. Perhaps this will blunt their growing power. But no matter. I mean, all of us who see through the deception have a responsibility to speak truth to power here. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what we are trying to do in this podcast. This is why we speak. It's, it, up is not down. War is not peace. Muslims and Central Americans' caravans aren't the mm -hmm. exist existential threat. It is not white people who are being racially oppressed in America. Putin, Trump <laughs> are not the saviors. Therefore, lights, guys. Yeah, that, that's just uh, really super well said, Joe. And I got to almost give you applause for that because you you summarized, you know, the things that I've been kind of thinking about all week. And especially when you look at unprecedented changes in our media landscape are also on their way in the sense that, you know, RT around the world is being shut down. RT America is laying off staff. I mean, there are major, major propaganda, uh, uh, you know, warfare that we're not going to be dealing with anymore. And, and it's, it's, it's even beyond a shift in perception, right? Because right. Uh, I think cybersecurity is going to ramp up. I think that we're going to, you know, a lot of people are taking a lot of things more seriously. Europe is starting to take its own uh, defense much more seriously and increase their defense budgets, which is highly overdue. And uh, I wanted to say something else too, and that is that <laughs> we've kind of been in a 22 year long stupor about who and what Vladimir Putin is. And he was able to finesse because, you know, we had we had Gorbachev and we had Yeltsin and we shoved. Finally, we have these reasonable leaders, you know, coming from Russia who aren't out to destroy the world. And uh, Putin kind of came out of nowhere. And what it turns out is and this is this is pretty well documented from any number of sources, is that Putin created a false flag attack on some Russian apartment buildings in about 1997. And it was used as a pretext to really go in hard uh, in, in, the, in the Chechen war. And I don't have a lot of details about, about all of this, except 
that mm. uh, the there were there was pretty pretty uh, well sourced knowledge that the bombs were placed by uh, FSB uh, agents. And, and the reason is, is that there were four apartment buildings, I believe, that were bombed. And the fifth one, they found a dummy bomb that and they found FSB agents planting it. And they claimed hmm. that it was some sort of a test or drill or whatever. But, you know, I mean, like the whole Ukraine invasion was supposed to be a drill. Right. So, so we these these tactics of propaganda are are, <laughs> are, are well practiced. And then, you know, Putin, they've invited him into the G7 and became the G8, uh, you know, which tried to get him in trade agreements. He, he was standing with all the other Democratic leaders of the world as an equal. And then we saw, you know, the situation that happened mm -hmm. in Georgia and then Crimea and then all the other situations that have happened. And at each mm -hmm. point, the West has buried its head in the collective sand. We don't want to face a nuclear armed adversary that mm -hmm. is hell bent on reforming Europe. Right. So uh, that is something that now we are being forced yes. to come to terms with. And I think that is a huge silver lining, because when you have this kind of great power competition, if you don't know you're fighting, mm -hmm. you're going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm, well said. Well said. And, you know, I, I agree with. Yeah, I agree with you guys. And I do think there's a silver lining here. Right. So uh, when Putin invaded Ukraine, I believe that he began the end of his presidency in many ways and also struck a really mm -hmm. huge blow against worldwide authoritarianism. Right. Putin, uh, Putin was the prototypical modern authoritarian, shrewd, in control, unstoppable. And this crisis reminds us that setting ethics aside, strong man authoritarianism is simply not an effective way to run a country. No system that relies so utterly on one factor, one person, is resilient enough to, to survive in the long, long run. And also, one person cannot wield that much mm -hmm. power for that long without losing touch with reality. And objective reality does exist in spite of the propaganda. And eventually one's failure to live by reality's rules will catch up with them. So, you know, Putin now has unified the world community. He has made Russia an international pariah and he has in some sense disincentivized would be authoritarians. They know now see what happens when you pull that kind of shit. So there is a silver lining here. Um, it's not a big one, but I think in connection with the sort of things that you guys are talking about, that they're like that's what we should be looking at, right? That's what we should be like, holy shit, there this is a shift in perspective, and that matters a lot. That really matters. It does, yeah. Good point. He's harder I, to defend. I mean, like only the real right wing lunatics are defending this at this point, right? Yeah, you have to want you have to want uh, to destroy gender ideology, right? <laughs> More than you want uh, one person, one vote. That's I mean, right. That's that's basically <laughs> yeah. kind of the definition. If you're, you know, you want to have cultural supremacy. Yes. Uh, and that's more important to you than democracy. And that those are the authoritarians. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, yeah. so do you want to say, do you want to jump in on that, Joe? Well, I think I think Sean said what I was going to say. I mean, the, uh, <laughs> literally. Uh, but the other thing is uh, comes, what comes to mind to me what is the uh, the military dictatorship in Argentina that was deposed mm. and they lost they, they lost legitimacy. I mean, that matters. That really matters. Yes. It really yes. does. Even though they, they control everything, even though they, there's no democracy or anything to get them out of office, it still matters that they have this spell over the country for, 
with enough people that support them, they can keep control. But if that spell is broken, then they lose. They die. They, you know, the, the regime topples. And that could happen with Russia. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be a long, slow process, right? And I expect that it would be. So when I say it's the end of his presidency, it obviously isn't. But it's but it has to begin to end somewhere. And this was a huge gamble. And I just don't think in the long run it's going to pay off. Now, if you're Ukrainian right now, you don't give a fuck about the gamble. You don't care about the silver lining, right? You're, right. you're But so from our privileged perspective, we can talk about it this way. But nevertheless, from that broad perspective, it finally allows people who didn't like Putin, countries that didn't like Putin, to take the gloves off. There is like clear, uncontroversial evidence that this guy is bad for the world. And this model is bad yeah. for the world, as you said. Yes, the model is bad for the world. Exactly. It doesn't work in the long run. You may be able to pull it off for a long, 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 long time, but eventually people really care about being free. They really, really do. You can only keep people under your thumb for so, for so long. It might take, again, generations, but people will not put up with this shit forever. They just won't. Yeah. Wanna, I want to talk a little bit about ahead, what is going on inside of Russia right now, which is a tremendous fragmentation. Mm. And you, you, ha you have to look at, okay, so Alexei Navalny is the, is, is Putin's primary, uh, dissenting, uh, opponent, political opponent. And as everybody knows, he was poisoned and he went into exile and then he came back to Russia bravely and inexplicably. I don't know why he, he, he knew he was going to go to prison, but now he's this huge moral authority. And he, he had a tweet storm that I thought was pretty good. And uh, he drew attention to the fact that almost 10,000 people in Russia have gone out into the streets knowing they were going to be arrested. And when you get arrested in Russia, it's not like being arrested here. I mean, they rough <laughs> right, you up. Yeah, right. you, 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 know, you might lose your job immediately, mm -hmm. like no matter what you might, uh, and you might face, you know, if, I don't know, the eviction from your apartment. Totally. I don't even know what. I don't know what they do. They they ruin your life. Definitely. And even though people knew their lives were going to be ruined, they went out there, almost 10,000 of them, in many, many cities across the country, and they protested. And I think that's huge. And I think there's another thing that's huge is that some of the Russian oligarchs who are now expats, mm -hmm. one of them has offered a million-dollar reward for the arrest and prosecution of Vladimir Putin as a war criminal. That's amazing, now, right? That's amazing. That is powerful. This is what I'm saying. Like, this is pulling on the thread. Even the people that support him are like, yo, this is fucking crazy, man. Like, what were you yeah. thinking? We were doing fine. What are you fucking thinking? Um, yeah. But look, but look, guys, we are um, uh, getting to our end of time now. So I just wanted to thank you both for your super helpful perspectives on this. I always love talking to you about it. And I want to now move on to our guest segment Liz Wilson describes herself as a painter, a maker, and a mother. Liz has drawn and created her whole life, and she's a graduate of Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York. When Liz and her husband Matt had children, Liz's art career took a back seat. But once the kids were a bit older, she returned to the art world. And now she creates and sells her paintings, prints, and patterns at her website, ebwillart.com. I'm pleased that Liz found the time to join us, given her busy schedule, to share her perspective. Um, so without further ado, The Radical Secular presents Liz Wilson. Liz, welcome to the show. I know you've got your hands full on the day-to-day, -day, so thanks for taking the time. You're welcome. Good to be here. 
Awesome. And uh, let's talk about your shirt. What you got? Oh, well, I have, this is not the one I was originally going to wear. I was going to wear one that says hysterical woman on it. Ah. But this one, this is my, uh, here we go. Oh, nice. Uh, you got the, uh, you got the, uh, feminine, feminist power fist. Yes. Right. Yeah. I bought this, um, right before the women's march after Trump got elected. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And what a time that was. Like right that moment. And you know, it's, it's, we're in like in a new style of terrible, (laughs) terrible, terrible times, but in some ways it still feels better than what it felt like right after that election. Like that was, awful you know yeah that was a real come to jesus moment that really was, was i think a lot of us were laboring under the illusion that things like sexism and racism were like not really a thing anymore and that's then right. Mm-hmm. that's right yeah that's right yeah. And, and and more than anything else right i feel i it's like men probably right so let me put it this way Men would probably walk around feeling like sexism isn't such a big deal. Mm-hmm. White people walk around thinking that black, that that racism isn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, white dudes just walk around being white dudes. But I can't but, even imagine. <laughs> I just can't even imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I just like wow, everything's just great all the time. Um, but that was a real moment. That was in all seriousness, that was a real moment. And you're you're right. That was just like holy shit. Mm-hmm. This is not. For me, it was like, this is not the country I thought I was living in. 100%. And that's why it was such like a gut punch, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. now it's like, what's happening now is like, yeah, this is definitely the country I live in. Like, yeah. right? Like, this is this is the world I live in, right? Putin yeah. exists, and this is happening, and this is what... The, but back then... Well, like, I think we were all like in our little la-la land, you know? It's like kids of the 80s and 90s, and then... Yes. For sure. And I remember like... I just remember it was so emotional for me and it took me a long time to realize. I think it was because it was like, it was like, Oh, guess what? You can be literally the worst piece of shit on earth. But if you're a white dude, Mm. you will beat anybody, even the most qualified candidate to ever run (laughs) like because she's a woman. So that felt really like, Okay, it was a gut punch. It really was. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and you know, I, what you just said there is so important. Um, and I think that this is, this can be a lot of, I think this can be very difficult for some, uh, folks, um, um, to wrap their minds around uh, white guys, especially. I don't mean to just like, crack on white guys the entire show, <laughs> but, um, but it was, it, everyone was really upset by it. That was progressive, obviously. It was like, holy mm-hmm. shit, we lost. But there, but there was something I think, um, I, I can't speak for women. I can speak for uh, myself as a black person that it was, mm-hmm. it, it was very emotional. It was like, it wasn't just some sort of intellectual shift in what I thought the country was. It felt very personal. Yes. It felt like I was personally being attacked. That like everything, like it was like, it was like an identity crisis yeah. in some sense. Yeah. Right. It was like America was showing you what it thinks of you, which is nothing. Well said, <laughs> which is nothing. Exactly. You don't mm-hmm. really fucking count. Right. And, and we've been kind of pretending for 40 years that you did, right. but you right. don't really, when right. it really you comes looking, down to it. Yeah. You were looking at our pretty little wallpaper that says we don't have sexism and racism anymore, but that got pulled down and you see that it's all rotten underneath. Yeah. Totally. And that was, mm-hmm. that was a doozy. That was it a was, doozy. It was. And you're totally right that it comes, I feel like it set the stage for like the next, what year is this? Six years? <laughs> 22. <Seven. laughs> 
I don't even know anymore. I mean, I, basically, since the pandemic started, I just sort of lost. I stopped counting at years. I mean, it's still 2020 in my mind and in exactly, my body. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, totally, totally. Yeah. The fact that 2020 was two years ago is fucking mind blowing. It's fucking mind blowing. It boggles the mind. You're like, wait, how is that possible? Um, mm-hmm. What happened the last two years? And by the way, how can we talk about how much actually did happen in the last two years? I, know. I mean, from George Floyd, remember that happened during the pandemic. I mean, um, whoa, what? what? <laughs> was that 2020? That was, yeah, I think that was 2020. Yeah, I think you're right. And oh that's like, so yeah, it's like a lot has actually happened, but it also feels like nothing has happened. Right. Um, and meanwhile, here we are on the brink of uh, of not. I don't want. No, we're not really on the brink of a nuclear war, but it feels that way, and it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, we're we're going to talk about a couple other things, obviously, over the course of this show. But I, but I, but we can't not talk about Ukraine. Like, we didn't. We we when we decided to do this conversation, um, none of this had really had hadn't hadn't exploded yet, and so uh, right. and and now it's so relevant we can't not talk about it. So I mean, where are you with it? Like, uh, how do you have mm-hmm. just just where are you with it? Where am I with it? <laughs> like, what jumps I mean, to your mind honest- when you when you when at this point? Just exhaustion. Like, I just feel honestly at this point. I was already tapped out. My adrenals were tapped out from the pandemic. And it's like, oh, World War Three. Like if this had happened in 2015, I don't know what we, we couldn't have handled it. But now I feel like we're prepared. It's <laughs> a great point. No, it's a great point. We're like all tougher now. For, oh, my you know? God. And, and I really felt like the pandemic, like a big lesson for me was just the realization that we really need. We need to work on getting comfortable with discomfort. With not knowing what's around the corner, with not being in control of the situation, which for me personally is I'm a control freak. So that's very uncomfortable. So I feel like we're kind of still in that mindset a little bit. And now I'm like, World War Three around the corner? Maybe. That's such a good point, right? Because <laughs> it goes back to what you kind of what you were saying before, right? You kids of the 80s and the 90s. I think we grew, you grow up with this. We, I know I grew up with the assumption of like peace kind of, or just mm-hmm. like predictability, predictability. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and since really in some sense, since 2016, that has been all upended. Yeah. Um, and then there is the, the Black Lives Matter movement. Then there is the pandemic. And now there is this, um, like just a blatant outright attack on democracy and and we were you and I were chatting right before we started recording and and we were talking about right like why this is feels different than Syria why it feels mm-hmm. different than Afghanistan why it feels different than Iraq and 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 I part of it is just because it's just such an obvious it feels like such a cl- clean cleanly purely wrong act right like mm-hmm. there's no it doesn't feel like there's a lot of uh gray area gray area right. here and i feel like you don't even and, and i could be wrong because i do have some sort of history knowledge just from my college years but mm-hmm. i don't feel like you don't have to have a history degree you don't need to understand right. a lot of the politics behind this to see what is right and what is wrong in the situation. Totally. So maybe that's just me. But certainly racism plays into the reason that we're focusing on Ukraine and not on Syria, not on Afghanistan. But 
Um, I don't think you can ignore the fact that this looks like a very, very clear line in the sand. Exactly. was right and wrong and the potential global consequences of it. Are tremendous. And and that is important, I think. And in a world that's continuously, that's continue, like increasingly fractured, right? The Mm -hmm. irony of this is that as this man thinks that like, all right, maybe this is the moment that I can pull this sort of thing off, right? Because NATO Mm -hmm. is weak or whatever, 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 right? Uh, People don't like Biden and X, Y, and Z. But meanwhile, in some sense, he is pulling the world together in like, a remarkable yeah. way, uh, <clears throat> in a remarkable way, and pulling Americans together. I mean, I'm getting, I got in a stupid argument about something on Facebook with somebody, which I really try not what? to do. Facebook uh, arguments? Uh, yeah, yeah. So the, it, <laughs> what, what, what I'm trying to think of the scenario. I think it was some guy, it, it was, oh, you know what it was? It was at a, at a Swedish hockey game, a bunch of people held up a sign that said, you know, fuck Putin. And this guy uh-huh. was obviously conservative and he was like defending Putin. And I just made like sort of some sort of some comment. And then people like a million people liked it. Right. And so like, right. Then Facebook pushes it up. Right. So then, uh, then, right. People, then people just keep responding, responding, responding. I was like, I knew I shouldn't have said anything. This was stupid. <laughs> Why did I wade into this? Um, but even at the end of that conversation, he was like uh, he, he was uh, he, he said, well, I guess we can agree that Putin should go. And I was like. Well, yeah. So the point is, I'm arguing with this guy, and <laughs> look, at the end of the day, we everyone kind of agrees. You have to be like a real right. lunatic to not yeah. agree with this, and I guess that's the point I'm trying. I'm, I'm getting at here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's interesting because it's just something I was thinking about um, Putin and Trump and their relationship, and and you were talking about you know this like huge rift in our culture and our society, um, and like just the fact that people are living in their own bubbles of you know media consumption and friend group and this contributed to us all thinking hillary clinton was going to win the election right exactly right exactly right so but in that way i i would be curious to know if maybe putin living in the trump world of reality believed that he would have support yes oh my god i'm so glad you brought that up i i'm totally with you on that Totally yeah. with you on that because it's, I think because he lives in a similar media ecosystem that right. Trump does, where everyone tells him right. exactly what he wants to hear, right. and he reads. In fact, you could say it's even more like yes. that because yes. he's a fucking autocrat. Exactly, like- <laughs> exactly. He and, and isn't it really? Have you seen those pictures of him like sitting on the opposite end of these like comically long tables? Like his his advisors are way oh, yes. down yeah, the thing, yeah, like yeah. a mile and a half away because he's so paranoid. With- <laughs> And then you see Zelensky like yeah. in the like right. bunker with his thing with on. his yeah. big balls, you know. Which I love those memes that are flying around. <laughs> Things you can see from space, right? You know, <laughs> fucking great. Oh you know, you got the the internet. At least gives you a sense of like, oh, okay, we can. You know, there's things here that we can smile about, right? Uh, it's true. Th- these are the good things of yeah. the internet. There's a lot of really bad things, but um, you know, Zelensky's got big balls, and that's very funny, Ugh. right? Yes. <laughs> um, yes. But, um, well, look, let, let's, let's sort of get into, who knows, maybe we'll get back to Ukraine as sort of the, uh, the, the elephant in the room here. But I want to talk a little bit about you, Liz, um, because 
uh, we're here to talk about you. And you went to Pratt. And uh, you mentioned, <laughs> um, which is in Brooklyn, everybody, an amazing school. My uh, friend uh, Tim, in fact, you know Tim Stetner as well. Liz also went to Pratt. Um, and you mentioned that before you went to Pratt, you had some tangents. Um, and I want to talk about those tangents because I had similar tangents on my way hmm. to law school. Um, mm-hmm. um, I actually don't know if they're similar, but I also had some tangents. And um, without obviously talking about anything you don't want to talk about, but what were those tangents? Uh, what mm. what what was your delay? I guess. Yeah. Well, my tangents were: I went to Rutgers for my undergrad degree in history and anthropology. Ah, okay. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Well, see, this is the thing. I think I did know what I wanted to do, but it's not practical to be an artist, Mm. right? I didn't have any role models in my life um, for ways to make a living creatively. Uh, So I just basically stuffed it down Mm. for a long time. So I went to, and, and I thought, you know, if I major in something that is interesting to me, then that'll naturally lead to a job that I love, right? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, so, so. so I went to Rutgers. Um, I did lots of random things. I worked at a law firm. I worked at a nonprofit. I managed a grant for a little while. I nannied. I went to law school for a month and a half. Oh, shit. Yes, I did out in San Diego because I thought that I want to change the world. So I thought what I need to do is learn the tools of the man and then I can use those tools to to save the world. And then I was sitting in class one day and the teacher was talking about how much she loves being a lawyer. And I thought it just hit me like a lightning bolt. Like, I don't want to be a fucking lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I here? Right, right. So I left. Nice. <laughs> um, I think I just got to the point where it was like, I tried so many other things that I knew. I, I kept thinking like, well, this is kind of cool. This is kind of interesting. And then it just wasn't it mm-hmm. until I kind of ran out of options. And I was like, I guess I'll have to go to art school. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny that you bring up Tim uh-huh. because I uh, credit him with being my catalyst for doing that. Oh, wow. Yeah, because um, Matt and I, my husband, then boyfriend, when we were dating, I was living in Philly. He was in Brooklyn. And I would come up every other weekend. And I was up one weekend. I met Tim Statner. And we had this conversation. He had just started, I think, at Pratt. um, Or he was just about to start. And I don't remember exactly what he said, but something about that conversation just made me feel inspired to take the leap. It made it feel more practical and realistic. So, yeah. Wow. So I, so I did that. That's awesome. <laughs> Those are my tangents. That, that, but look, I mean, it, it's how do we get to these places in our lives? I mean, I think it it's uh, the, the, uh, my my path was was to law school. Um, I like mm-hmm. you thought that I felt like I wanted to change the world. Right. And, and simultaneously, and, and I thought about politics and I thought about all this stuff and I didn't know exactly how one gets there. Um, but mm-hmm. I, um, figured that if I became a lawyer, I could, I could somehow like manifest that. Right. It's like not yeah. clear how that would work, but, um, right. But even before that, right, I mean, I went to college and I, I had like a, a, 
it's, it's funny that we're talking about Matt and we're talking about Tim, but like, you know, I had a, I had a lot of different, a lot of problems growing up, um, with drugs and, and it took me a long time to even get back to college, let alone to law mm-hmm. school. And, um, and so, and I, and one, I, I was just driving, like I was like, trying to get my life back together, right? My life was in, I was 19 years old. Life was just spinning out of control. And I'm like, look, what am I going to do? And I got my act together and I was like, I'm going to go to college. And then, and I, and for the first time ever, I was like, oh my God, I'm good at school. Like I had always been a terrible student, mm. terrible student growing up. And so I was like, oh my God, mm. I'm good at school. So I was just like, go, 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 go. And then I got to law school and I got to a good law school. Um, and I graduated and I was like, and I'm at a law firm now. And I'm like, this was, what it was all going to be about and oh wait a second this kind of sucks like you know (laughs) (laughs) I work all the time that's Mm -hmm. all I do is work my entire life and it's not even meaningful work right like it's Mm -hmm. I started at a nonprofit organization and that was great and that really fucked up my ability to be a good law firm lawyer I think I was just like this is just so empty and so I now work at a different organization and it's, it's a good job and I like it. I was in the legal field and it really works for me. But really what I'm interested in is, is, is writing and, and art, you know, it, like, it, I feel like that's what has, at the end of the day, I ask, like, how can I contribute to social justice, right? How can I make, make people happier or do something that's positive. And I think what's right. important is to look inside oneself and be like, what is my gift? Right. Like, right. It, there's something mm-hmm. I can do, but what do I, what can I be really good at and all, and feel good about? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, and that's, uh, and I kind of feel like that's where I landed, but it's really hard. Art is hard. Right. Because like, how do you make money to do, make, doing making art? Like, what are your frustrations? You're an artist. You're like a real artist, right? Like I'm just a guy who does stuff, but you're like a real artist. Like you do art, you sell art, you do cool stuff, right? You know, you're, you're obviously talented. What kind of, um, what, what do you love about doing art? What do you hate about doing art? Like when I say, what is art for you? Like go for it. Just Mm -hmm. talk about it. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I will say that you say creating this line between us that I'm an artist and you're not an artist is bullshit and I hate it. So don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) And that really speaks to my, my general ethos about art. And that is that it is an intrinsic part of the human experience and every human being has a creative impulse and it can certainly manifest in many different ways. And it's not always going to be in a painting or a piece of music, but I, I have issue. (laughs) I take issue with, uh, the way that our society, culture, school system, uh, is set up to, as we get older, separate the artists from the general population. Yes. Um, and there are lots of methods that are employed. Um, the whole coloring between the lines thing, the, and I think it probably goes along with development as you're growing up that you become aware of other people's opinions about things and and that sort of thing and get self-conscious about like, does this really look like a flower? Right. <laughs> um, but I do think in general, it is not something that's valued in our culture. I mean, you just have to look at like schools getting rid of the that's arts right. programs to see the, the first thing true. that's cut, right? 
A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and then if you look, people who do take the leap and have the, either the confidence and or the talent to then say, I'm going to make a career of this. I mean, look at how musicians are treated, look at how they're paid and undervalued, unless you're freaking Beyonce, you know, (laughs) it's really hard. I have a lot of, um, uh, friends and family who work in the music industry and they struggle. Um, so yeah. And visual artists are not adequately compensated. So anyway, so that's a whole cultural mindset thing that that drives me crazy because because i think everybody's an artist in some way i hear that um so what is your question? What do I <laughs> well <love>? i mean <laughs> I, I, it sounds like you've you've hit a lot of it which is you know i i this idea of so let me put it this way you know right like tim let's use tim as a great example because tim is a really great artist um he's been for as long as i've known him and right and mm-hmm. and I, I another friend of mine luke he's also he's a graphic designer and you know luke, know luke. yeah you know luke um <laughs> we all know we know all the same people <laughs> oh my God. um and luke so you know luke and i was just talking with luke last yesterday actually i ride motorcycles with luke all the time so um uh-huh. so um and we you know and it's like you either do the art the way you want to do it and you can't make a, it's really difficult to make a living. Um, it's street struggle or you like sell yourself essentially, right? Like you go and Uh you work at an advertising advertise where they sort of like, you know, (laughs) it's like milking a cow (laughs) to death or something like that. Right. Like we're, we're, and so you're right. I mean, this undervaluing, of art in our society and is, is, and, and mm-hmm. maybe that's why I sit here and say to myself, ah, oh, I'm not a real artist. Right. You know, like, because like, mm-hmm. um, it's, it feels like, it, it feels like, oh, it, you can't, what am I think? What am I trying to say? It's like, you can't be, uh, you, you do not take, you can't be taken seriously if you're an artist, unless you're like Beyonce, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, unless mm-hmm. you are, you're selling uh, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of paintings and galleries right. and all this sort of thing. Uh, and that's really, right. that's fucking bullshit, <clears throat> you know? Yeah. Well, and you combine that with the fact that um, making art is, to me, the most vulnerable thing oh. you can do. Like, you are really just putting yourself out there, Right. Um, there's no amount of like, uh, protective sarcasm <laughs> that you can like put in front of a thing. Like it's just, just your most earnest you is just there. Well, well and so I think it's even, that makes it even more difficult then because you really like, I mean, to get to this point, I'm 42 years old, right? As a child, my entire, like I drew compulsively. I have like, I still have notebooks from when I was like five, six, seven, eight years old. I made things all the time. I didn't think about it. I didn't wonder like, how will this translate to a career? I didn't think like, are people going to like this? Is there going to be a market for this? I just made it because I wanted, I just had some, whatever it was in me just needed to do that. So, you know, not only do we do a huge disservice to our freaking humanity when we stuff that down or cut it off or make it something that is just uh, a way of getting income, it was clear to everyone around me and myself as a small person that this is something that was um, an important part of me and something I was good at. But um, I did everything in my power to avoid doing it because it's so fucking scary. Like, it's so scary. And it took me getting to this point 
I mean, I literally took 10 years when I was raising my kids where I don't think I even mm. picked up a pencil. And this can tie into our other subject because the way that we're, our culture is set up, our patriarchal cu- culture, <laughs> um, women who become mothers are encouraged to lose their identity. So I had a huge, you know, uh, upheaval of like my sense of self in those 10 years, not just with losing art, but trying to be some role that has been arbitrarily assigned to me because I produce children. So it took my children are now, you know, 10 and how old are they? <laughs> Seven and 10. And they are gone all day at school. And I suddenly was sitting there like, fuck. <laughs> like, right, who am I? What am right, I doing with myself? Right. right. And it took me getting to that point of almost having to like rebuild mm. myself to have the confidence and the self-awareness, the awareness of my own mind and the gymnastics that I do to myself, um, the negative self-talk, all that fun stuff. And I don't know that I could have done that as a 22 year old. Wow. So. Wow. Wow. That, that, you know, <laughs> so many things I identified there, not with the motherhood part, obviously. Um, but nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, uh, first of all, just the scariness of putting yourself out there, right? I follow, mm-hmm. you know, I'm on in these writers, uh, you know, it's writers Twitter, right? And it's so much of what I see on there are people say, I have three manuscripts on the shelf that I haven't submitted that I haven't pitched. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and because it's just mm-hmm. like, I've, it's, it's in, and I can identify with that. Right. I write something and I'm, I got something that I just finished writing last night and I'm sitting there, I'm thinking of like, where to, where am I going to submit this thing? Cause I'd like to get it published. And I'm thinking to myself, like, mm-hmm. but the fear of, of, of just ex- exposing myself, like that is so real. Yeah. It is. And, and it is yeah. so personal. Right. And, uh, and, and, and mm-hmm. that is, that is huge. And also just the idea that you mentioned too, of rebuilding yourself. I think that's, that's super important. And, and I think I, I experienced that in a little bit in a different way. I, I think for me, it really, there was an identity crisis for me around blackness, right. Having grown up where mm-hmm. I grew up growing up in a totally white environment and spending most of my life, like basically mm-hmm. pretending not to be black. Right. And it wasn't really mm-hmm. until like the last 10 to 12 years that I say to like build an identity around blackness. Right. So, um, so just that mm-hmm. idea generally of, of, of having these societal structures, I guess, placed on your, on oneself, and then mm-hmm. getting to a point and it takes, right. It takes maturity to get to that point. Right. You're not going to get there yeah. at age 20 probably. Yeah. Right. Uh, unless there's somebody to guide right. you, you're not going right. to do it at age 20. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I feel like the people who do that are the people who have like real <laughs> right. parents who are just like, let me right, tell you what it's right. about. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Right. Um, and I mean, it must be gratifying for you to be able to, to have, have learned those lessons and be able to bring that into being a mom, especially mm-hmm. as they get older, yeah. I imagine. 
It's yeah, it's gratifying and <laughs> terrifying. Yeah, no, fair enough. Because <laughs> I I have wonderful uh-huh. parents. Like I love them to sure. death. We have a great relationship. But like I'm still <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> so what am I gonna do to my kids? <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, parents can't help but fuck up their kids. I guess in some sense, right? I mean, that's no, just. Part. I mean, you're you're, you're a human being, right? You're just doing the best you can. It's true. And somebody's <laughs> somebody said to me once, they're like. We're all going to fuck up our kids, and it's definitely not in the way that you think it's <laughs> right, going to be. Right, right, right. It's going to be in a very unique way. Uh, you're going to fuck up your kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can't, you can't prepare oh my for God, it. It's great. fine. Let it, it go. It, it, that's, we kind of talked about this, and I'm glad that we did, because one of the things that I have on my outline here is talking about the pain of making art, right? Like, is it ever painful to make art mm-hmm. for you? Uh, every yeah, yeah. time. Yeah, I'm just uh, looking behind me because there's a particular uh-huh. painting that it's fine okay. now. It's fine. <laughs> but <clears throat> with almost everything I make, there is at least a period of time where I mm. hate it and I am filled oh. with self-loathing and self-doubt. <laughs> and But it's not even it's like a yeah. physical sensation. It's this irritation of not being able to get it the way I want it to be. So therefore, you know, then the brain spirals and it's mm. I'm a hack and why oh I my God. So it's fine. And then I generally work through it and come back to it a couple of days later and I can manage it, but not always, but it's, and every time it happens, I know intellectually like this happens and it'll go away, but it sure doesn't feel like that. It feels like this is it. Right. That's exactly. No, I, I, wow. I like, it's really, I'm glad to, I'm I'm so glad to wrap this conversation because uh, as I, I'm really trying to get very like serious, serious about writing. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and I write every day and I've been writing every day for a long time, but, but it's, 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 it really, and I, my wife, Lindsay, asked me, you know, but you like to write. I'm like, yeah, I, I like to you – know, it's a little more complicated than I like it, though. You know, I have to do it if that's the answer. I don't really have a choice. Yes. I have to do it. Um, and it's gratifying in some sense, but like mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Sometimes right. it's, sometimes it feels like I'm literally high, right? Like I'm flying. Yes. Like I'm high as yes. fuck. And sometimes yes. it's like a depth of just <laughs> – self-loathing like <laughs> jesus christ you fucking hack why are you yeah. bothering uh, right like 100 100 <laughs> and that's such a great way to put it too because it's like i mean you're choosing to be a pain like that's what you want to do right so sure. <laughs> but like you're right it's not like i guess i want to but it's kind of like do you want to eat do you want to sleep right, like right. not to be overly dramatic yeah, yeah, but no, i no. really do feel like that's how it feels and and i notice especially if i go a period of time without painting and then i have a day back i literally it's like i feel like i'm hot yeah. afterwards oh, yeah. i'm just like everything's amazing yep. <laughs> and you realize what was wrong with you for the last week exactly. and why you were just like you felt like you were in the beginning. Do you ever watch the movie um, Joe versus the Volcano? No, I've not seen it. No, oh, it's so good. You <laughs> should see, see it. it. It's like a classic, like Tom Hanks, late eighties, maybe early nineties. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the whole beginning is just him working in an office. It's a little bit like Matrixy, the way like uh-huh. Neo is just like green all the time. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but so that's how I feel if I don't paint for right, a while. Right, 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 right. And I had a therapist. I had a therapist point out to me one time. She's like, I work with a lot of creatives and I feel like there's just something different. 
you just need to do it or you're not going to be a happy person. And I had, it took somebody else telling me that for me to take it seriously and not just be like, Oh, this is just Liz wanting to like mess around with her paints. You know what I mean? Like it's actually legit. It's like going for a run or getting exercise. Like got to do it. Yes, 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 yes. It's like, it's, but that doesn't mean it's always fun. No, it doesn't mean it's always fun. (laughs) It doesn't, it it doesn't even mean that I always want to do it. Right. You know, it's like, it's just, it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a complicated, it's a complicated thing. That's sort of just part of who I am, you know? Um, and, uh, but it is, but, but again, some deeply, deeply gratifying in, in so many, in so many ways. Um, I, I want to now talk about, um, unpaid labor and about, mm-hmm. um, the women, ex- women's experience, um, with that. And I'm going to read a excerpt here, uh, from an issue of BJM and the BJM is a weekly peer reviewed medical trade journal and, uh, quote, Women spend a disproportionate amount of their time carrying out three quarters of the world's unpaid work, 11 billion hours a day. Unpaid work refers to services provided within a household for its members, including personal care and housework. Globally, women undertake three times more care and domestic work than men. Unpaid care work is often perceived as low value and is invisible in mainstream economics. Underpinned by entrenched patriarchal institutions and national accounting systems that fail to factor in women's total contributions. Unpaid care work is a major factor in determining both whether women enter and stay in paid employment and the quality of their work. Unpaid domestic and care work is associated with greater mental health burden and negative effects on quality of life. Women who lack the financial means to outsource more onerous household work are often burdened by repetitive, time-consuming, and physically demanding domestic tasks. This drudgery component, which makes up the largest share of poorer women's total unpaid work burden, may cause substantial fatigue and stress. May cause. (laughs) Stress activates the release of neurohormones, including cortisol. Women who experience household tasks and childcare as highly stressful have been shown to have higher than average cortisol levels. The cognitive and emotional involvement from unpaid work and the lack of respite, for example, time for leisure and self-care, can eventually lead to physical, emotional distress, depression, and anxiety, end quote. Now, I imagine, uh, Liz, that that... uh, passage doesn't really surprise you. Uh, but does it, how do you like, what's your reaction to that? Does it infuriate you? Does it sadden you? Um, how do you think about that? <laughs> Complicated. <laughs> yeah. It's a, a lot. lot. It's a lot. There. I mean, I feel like every sentence you read, I had about a paragraph to say about <laughs> it. Um, this is something that's interesting because, uh, I would say like it was sometime, I think, between my first and second child. So five to 10 years ago. Um, so I'm I was a stay at home parent. My husband was making the money. And I say I choose those words uh, very intentionally because saying that someone someone is a stay at home mom and someone goes to someone else yes. works is just very indicative of the way that we view these roles. Right. Um, stay focused. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, oh, right. So I came across an article, um, because 
you know, I had an, I had a small child and I spent a lot of time talking to other moms in the neighborhood. I mean, Brooklyn, the only thing to do really was take the kid to the playground. Right. So then that became like my social time too. Um, and I got turned on to this article that was talking about unpaid labor, invisible work. And, uh, it was the first time that had been put into words for me. It's something that I had certainly felt, but, uh, I think like so much of our sort of, um, patriarchal programming, it wasn't something that I had, um, examined or even noticed. It just kind of was. There was a, it was a very interesting process, actually, becoming a stay-at-home parent and then Matt and I having to figure out, sometimes with a lot of mess, and it took years, but to, to sort of like unpack our own programming about what that meant and what it looked like. Um, so he certainly learned a lot about invisible labor <laughs> from me. I sure did, yeah. <laughs> and he's definitely going to listen to this, right? right, right so right. I can't, I can't say anything mean. <laughs> we love um, you, Matt. <laughs> not that I would. No, he, um, no, he's wonderful. But, um, but yeah, there's a there's a steep learning curve for both of us, and it really makes you realize how much there is unexamined in yourself that's been. I keep saying it, but programmed into us just by growing up in this culture, right? Um, so yeah, I have so, 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 so many thoughts about yeah. this. I mean, like when you talk about what even is unpaid mm. labor, right. Or like un invisible labor, it's yeah, you can say housework, but like who actually stops to think about what that means. And that's, I actually think there's two, two types of invisible sure. labor. I think one is tangible and one is intangible. So you have tangible being like housework, right? Like cleaning the toilets, vacuuming, doing all cleaning the entire house. But then it's not just that you're doing laundry. You're, you're the one who knows where everything is. You're organizing your home. You're keeping track of your cleaning supplies. You're restocking things. You're just, your brain is, um, sort of like having, you have constant inventory in your head, right? And that's the, and then cooking or yeah, cooking, meal planning, food shopping, all that kind of stuff. So that's the very tangible stuff, which still goes unnoticed. It's the kind of stuff that if you're doing it, nobody notices it. Right. Um, but then there's intangibles. There's like, I know all my kids, doctors, I know their phone numbers. I know where they are. I know when they were, their last appointments were, I know when they need to go again. Um, same with dentists, you know, dermatologists, all the things. Um, there's there's this idea that women are the, and I want to be clear, I'm also talking from my experience as like a cis uh, heterosexual couple. And although I have heard that this can bleed over into homosexual relationships, into non-binary um, because the reality is we all grow up in this system. So we all are going to like download this to an extent, but, um, in my situation, women are looked at as the go-to contact for social events too. So like when Matt and I started dating, like seriously, like when we moved in together, it was striking to me that every time his family, his, his family of origin and extended, we're planning gatherings. 
they would contact me and I would be on an email list with all the women, none of the men, even though none of us, us women are related by blood. <laughs> we were the organizers. <laughs> so, so the, that's sort of like, the, oh, and then like buying gifts, like who does all the Christmas shopping, all the Hanukkah gifts, all the birthday gifts, all the shower gifts, all the, the wedding gifts, like who keeps track of when those need to be purchased and from where and wraps them. And, you know, so that's, there's, there's a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I didn't even have a, uh, I didn't even necessarily notice that I was doing all that. Mm -hmm. Do you know who Glennon Doyle is? Uh, yes. Yeah, I do. I do. Okay, so she has this really great analogy which she calls the ticker tape, which is just that she has a ticker tape going through her head 24 hours a day, thinking about like who's doing what, when are they doing that, where are they going, what do we need in the pantry, what's this going to be, and then also, you know, all her work stuff. And and I think that over the last 10 years or so, I think there's been a light. A light has started to be shone, shined mm -hmm. on that. But it's still like, you know, this comes from a patriarchal structure, right? This classic 50s housewife thing where this is our division of labor and this is how it's set up and it's set up that way for a reason. And we have been sort of like picking that apart. We've been unraveling it, but it's like the closer we get to the core of the knot, it's harder to see it. Right, right. You know, so I think we're we're starting to see that stuff now that has been so intrinsic and dark and deep and hard to see that it takes a lot more effort like you really have to think about it and um i mean so when i'm rambling a lot but matt and i when we um one of i had this moment of realization so i had two small children um home all day with them Yes, this was our agreement, but <laughs> for there was a period of time where my dear husband would come home and in his mind, like, you know, he goes to work, he comes home and he's finished right. work, right? And we had arguments about this because I said, but when do I get to be finished work? Like never, never, <laughs> it's 24 hours. And yes, this is what we decided upon, but I, I think we weren't cognizant of what that labor actually meant at the time. Right. And so what we eventually came to is this realization that, so his outside work is, you know, eight to 10 hours, whatever it is. And he comes home and then my job becomes split in half, ideally, and he takes half and I take half. So we're all both working 24 hours a day. It's just that like in the evening hours, it's a little bit right. lighter. <laughs> but this is, this took like two very like progressive people with progressive parents, like hours and hours and hours and hours of conversation to arrive at, right? you know? So we got a ways right. to go. Man, thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, I think that is, that's so important. Uh, you know, I, I, I try to make an analogy and I, I frequently try to analogize here. Um, so for there was a long time where I was very blind to this as well. And this was even after mm -hmm. I was rah, rah, black, I'm a black man, right? You know, um, that I sudden and but getting realize when I getting to that 
place and then looking at people around me, um, most of whom are white, and realizing, wow, the extent to which people didn't get it made me mm-hmm. have to rethink how I was thinking about my relationship with women and with feminism and with, right? Because I'm just like, mm-hmm. how do I point the finger, right, without okay. delving into my own shit on this, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I started looking around and um, and like the stuff that you were talking about i laughed when in, when you said that because they said the, right that women are put on you're put on the list of of the email list to 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 you know I, I i'm still i'm still guilty of this i'm still guilty where i'm like all right uh lindsay i let's do this and then she makes it happen right you know what i mean you know what i'm saying like and it is true that she's better yeah. at it than i am but she's better at it than i am because mm-hmm. i wasn't socialized to do it in the first place like that's right. why she's better at it than i right. am and it's not because she's inherently right. better at it right right and this is really the stuff that i feel like we're yes. unpicking right now this like there's been so long for so long this assumption that like oh well women are good at xyz men are good at xyz but like, right. are they, or is it just that one, one of them has not been required to learn this because they've had somebody else, their mother or their sister or their, their partner That's doing exactly it for them. It. That, they just don't have, so they don't to. have to. And, and I, and I see this. Yeah. So one of the things that I have tried to do, um, because one of the things that really struck me and when I, and I've heard this before and it's something that I take very seriously is like you say, the unpaid mental labor that women tend to do, which is whole, mm-hmm. which is basically holding of like a bunch of plates up in the air all the time. Right. And then men walk in and they're like, right. Oh, well just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'll take out the garbage. Right. Just tell me. Right. But it's like, no, yes. no, 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 no. You're That's not the fucking plate. point. Right. That's not the fucking point. The point <laughs> is like, right. You take ownership of that. And so that's what I've tried to do. Right. So I like, and it's still, right. I still know that it's not at the level of what Lindsay does. I know it's not. Right. But I take, right. Mm. It is like, I, I, like not, I do the laundry. Right. All the laundry. We don't have any kids, so mm-hmm. it's it's not the same as having kids and doing laundry. But still, it's doing laundry, right? So, and and so, it's and it's still, not yeah. just like. And my goal is to take that off of Lindsay's mind altogether. Right? All she has to do is open the drawer and there's clothes there, right? That is mm-hmm. right. So that oh, is that's my goal. Right? Same thing with the, like <laughs> with with dishes, with garbage, and I'll catch. I do all the outdoor stuff to the traditional man stuff, right? Like right. I cut the grass and I do the outside mm-hmm. stuff and all that kind of shit. But you know, but that, that that's the kind of mm-hmm. stuff that guys like to do anyway, so it doesn't fucking count, right? Like it's like. It... Do they though? <laughs> I I enjoy doing that stuff. I mean, <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> um, but like you know, but the outside, but you know, but what I think, and this is what I try to encourage, and it's not just enough for men for me to do it myself, right? It's also to tell my male friends to do the same thing, right? Because that, right? Because, mm-hmm. and that's the other thing mm-hmm. is like, look, when I, and it's, it's easy to be like, oh yeah, I'm pro-social justice, except for when my friend doesn't, I don't stand up to them, right? Um, or, you know, and so mm-hmm. um, it's like, it, it's it's about taking taking those mental responsibilities off of my partner's plate. And so mm-hmm. that that's one less thing. Right. She has she plans all the meals. Then she's got to shop. And that, when I see her going through that, I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ, it seems like a nightmare nightmare (laughs) and then you got to cook it at the end of the day you know and she works all day by the way right she comes home right Mm -hmm. right and she Mm -hmm. works out of the house 
Um, um, But, you know, it could be in the house, too. The point is you work all day. And then after that's all done, you then have to cook. You know, it's just like. Right. You do more work. Well, that's the thing that the other thing about it is like I am in a position where like my designated job was to stay at home. So that had its own set of like uh, difficulties in terms of sorting things out. But then all the women I know who also worked outside of the home (laughs) would then come home. And and clean the toilets, do the shopping, blah blah blah, and and I just was yeah, it's but but I really do think awareness is like seventy five percent of the battle because you can't undo what you've been trained to do all your life completely like that, right? But if you're aware of it and you're open to hearing when you get feedback about it, that's, that's a game changer, like. My Matt will do this thing that where he'll be like, "Do you know what the what, what the temperature is?" And he'd be like, "Sorry, never mind, unpaid labor." Oh my god, I do like, the same thing. It's so funny. Like, I do the same thing because I ask my wife these questions that I that I can easily find the answers to. But like, I'm like, "Why am I asking you that? No, yes. that's not your job." I I got my goddamn phone. It's right here. You know. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. It's so true. It's so true. But yeah, half the yeah. half the battle. Yeah. That is half the battle, See, right? So- because if if you got like a decent progressive guy, right? Chances are he wants to right. do the right thing, right? But again, has not been socialized. Right. I feel that, mm-hmm. and again, I keep going back to this analogy, but I think about good progressive white people, right? Sometimes I got to be like, hey, mm-hmm. that wasn't, that was not a, and they're like, oh shit. My bad. Yeah. Why? Right? right? And that's it. And that's it. And then it's a right. done deal. Right. And, it's like, and 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 we can right. move on. And I think that's the best we can ask of right. ourselves and each other. Right. I well, I think we have to have a lot of um generosity and compassion for ourselves because you know, we all grew up in this exactly. system. We're doing our best. But the key, like you're saying, is to actually listen. It's actually interesting because what you say about um comparing, you know, thinking about, uh, women's issues in relation to your own experience with racism, things like that. I had, I had the flip of that, which is like, um, to me, feminist issues are so obvious, (laughs) you know, it's like, uh, somebody, I saw somebody say the other day that nobody understands a group of people better than the people they oppress. Mm. So I can tell you everything that you want to know about patriarchy and toxic masculinity and all that fun stuff. And when I realized that that was completely applicable to racism, (laughs) like how I don't understand my own privilege being a white person. Right. And that like, maybe, you know how we're saying like, believe women, right? right. (laughs) maybe we should also believe Black people, when they tell us what their daily lived experience is and not just say, well, that's not what I see. So I think you're exaggerating. Right. Or like, it's not that bad. <laughs> right, 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 you know? right. Like, listen, when people tell you their experience, just listen. That's right. Just listen. And I mean, and I'm sure that you feel this from uh, from from the from the feminist side is that like when when someone genuinely sits there and listens there is that is like so powerful for me as a black person Mm -hmm. when someone is just like Mm -hmm. oh shit um 
like, okay, I believe you. I hear you. I mean, that simple act mm-hmm. is just so yeah. powerful because it's so unusual, <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. right. You spend most of your life walking around not being, at least implicitly, mm-hmm. if not explicitly, not believed. Um, and right. so when someone right. does, it's like very powerful and kind of just like, right. oh, wow. Thanks. Especially at face value without you having to be like, well, in this study in 1995, it showed like you have to back it up with data. Like, no, this is how it feels to be a woman. Right, right, right. That's enough. (laughs) Like, right. And it can be shocking to you. Like that whole Me Too movement was shocking to me because there were so many things that I just thought like, this is just the human experience. And then to realize that, like, no, not everybody is scared when they walk home at night. Like, not everyone has been sexually assaulted. Like, it it blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that um, just just believing people. Oh, and there's just also this really great trick, which probably works for uh, racism, too, I would imagine. But it's the... Of course it does. You flip Mm -hmm. it, right? So in any given scenario, look at this invisible work situation, right? Imagine if men were asked to keep the house completely clean, do all the cooking in in the house, um, manage all the children's schedules, and work full time. But women could go work outside the home and just come home and have a beer and put their feet out. Yep. And then when you think of it that way, it's just like, oh, Right. Right. And that's and that's a pretty mild example. Yes, there's this yes. great There's this great great book called The Power and it's fictional, but what she does is uh it, it, it she flips the script. So so it's about a society where women hold the power that men hold in our society now. Interesting. And it just it, you're reading it and you're like, this is fucking ludicrous. Like even in, in as small a detail as an email that a man has written to wow. a woman in this wow. book, right? So the way that he um, minimizes himself, that he does all these like like exclamation oh, marks and like softens God. everything he says and, and it just, reading it, it's so ridiculous. Wow. It's ridiculous. Wow. And it makes you, it really clarifies it. Cause even for me, like even as a woman, I grew up thinking that the white man was like the prototype yeah, human, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know? Totally. So it, it takes a minute for my brain to kind of like be like, oh yeah, that's not just like kind of lame. That's like utterly yeah, ridiculous. Absolutely. <laughs> and I was, uh, I, you know, I, I've been, I read NK Jemison. She's a, a writer, uh, a sci-fi writer, which is, uh, and she's, a sci-fi fantasy writer and I'm, that's not really my genre but she's a black woman mm-hmm. and she's like and mm-hmm. she's just an unbelievable writer and I just appreciate really good writing right um, mm-hmm. and so I've been reading her books that were suggested to me but one thing she does all the time and it and every time I'm just like you fucking patriarchal fuck when every time I read her because I've talked about myself because <laughs> I'm like because what she'll do and and I think she does it on purpose I, I, is that she will she will say the leader of X, Y, and Z did, 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 uh, did A, B, and C. And then she mm-hmm. went to the, and you're like, oh, wait a second. Mm-hmm. I was in my head. That was a guy <laughs> in my head. That was a man. Uh-huh. And she was, and she, and she, uh-huh. and that, but no, that was a woman. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. boy, I am. 
But I mean, for me, for right, me too, right. I do the yep. same thing. And, but the reason is that what, like exactly that, that we have, it's like when the, the Ghostbusters with all yes, women came yes, out yes. and all these oh my bros God. were like oh up my in God. arms of about it. Were. I didn't see the movie. Maybe it sucked. I don't know. But the point was they were up in arms before oh, it yeah. even came oh, yeah. out. Conceptually. And I just, right. And like, why would we want to go see some chick flick? And the fact that women-centered movies are called chick flicks and that black-centered movies black are movies, called black right. movies. It's <laughs> like, like it, just, it, it just is that. Right. It's like, and then people don't see that, right? Because- no, and God forbid that a white dude should have to watch someone who doesn't look like him and project his own experience onto that. Exactly. Because we have been having to do that our exactly. entire That's lives. The experience. Every hero in every movie exactly. is a white dude. So I had to empathize with him and try and imagine his experience so that I could enjoy the movie. Everyone else is real good so, at that. Right. Yeah, it's, oh white my dudes. God, it's so right. And this same thing happened, but like I'm, I'm very into... Um, Star Trek, and we all on the show are, uh-huh. and so like the newest show, the new show, the shows that are coming out are very diverse, and um, and it is awesome. Okay. It is just because because Star Trek was was always relatively diverse, but not like this, right? Like uh-huh. this is like like mm-hmm. the, the, like the the new captain is a black woman, right? To put things in perspective, Ooh. right? That is, and bo- the bros, Damn. oh my god, Liz, the bros mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. lost their shit, and it's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's like what? So like you're mad because you don't see yourself in the character are you fucking kidding me mm-hmm. are you mm-hmm. fucking kidding mm-hmm. me <laughs> no, yeah. come on yeah you you want me to feel <laughs> yeah, bad for on, you man, yeah. it's been 40 exactly. years of this for me exactly. come on oh, well look i mean we're we're oh. getting toward the end of the show i want like what do you um is there anything what do you think men should be doing differently like what what if you were like i want men to do this what would it be I mean, honestly, I guess we kind we of touched, touched on it. Yeah. Said it. Um, listen, mm-hmm. just listen, and and not just listen, but like, just believe Please. us. <laughs> and I don't mean like if we've been raped or not. I mean like believe that too. But also, when I tell you like, I'm exhausted from from planning everybody's day. Don't be like it's not mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> right. Listen. <laughs> right. Yeah, listen. just listen. And, listen. And, and, and you know, one of the things that I really want to do um, um, as I as we do these segments is really just try to elevate uh, women and and people of uh, non traditional voices. Right, that's really important for me with these mm-hmm. segments. Which is, um, and I think because it's one thing to be like, oh yeah, uh, you know, I think women should be able to say whatever they want. I think black people should, should be, but it's like I think the goal should be to put those folks first. Right. I said that is I think Mm -hmm. that is how you start to have, I think, meaningful conversations. So I'm really glad that you came on to do this. And I really hope that you'd be interested in coming back. Would you have anything you want? You want to plug your website or, or anything you want to plug before you go? Sure. My website is ebwillart, all one word, dot com. Um, EB like Elizabeth. Um, I just put up actually some shirts on there that say Slava Ukraini. (laughs) (laughs) But um, glory to Ukraine. Um, It's to raise money. So I'm not going to take any money from it. All the profits are going to go to care org. They're doing stuff on the ground with refugees. Um, Ebwillart.com. 
on Instagram too. And yeah, you'll see what I'm awesome, up to. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, everybody definitely go check, uh, check Liz out online, check out her website, check out her Instagram. She's always got great stuff on there. Um, and uh, Liz, thanks so much for coming on. It's been really fucking fun. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Little old me. <laughs> Little old me too. <laughs> I love that you're doing this. It's awesome. All right. Awesome. Take it easy. Yeah. Well, I thought Liz was really awesome. She's a good friend of mine, but also just a really great communicator and just an interesting person. Do either of you want to uh, make any comments on that or about uh, last comments on Ukraine uh, before we close out? I had a couple subjects that I thought that she really uh, that she touched on that I that I thought were really good. Uh, the first one, of course, is the unpaid labor and the division of household labor. That is a huge deal. And I think that all of us men can uh, do better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think uh, I, from what you were saying, Christoph, I think you do pretty well in your house. I could probably do better. And, and I think I wanted to just talk a little bit about how that happens. It happens because we grow up that way. It happens <laughs> because our mothers do things for us. In my case, uh, we had household staff. So, you know, it's, you don't get used to doing those things. I had to learn in my, you know, thirties or whatever, uh, 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 when I was, after I was divorced, you know, I had to learn how to take care of myself. And mm. that's something that a lot of men have, have issues with. And it's, it's a, it's a deficiency. Like men should be learning, uh, cooking and laundry and, and sewing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just as, as much as they should be learning, you know, auto mechanics or, or, or home repair or anything else like that. Like the, the soft skills that involve, uh, they're involved in raising a family are just super valuable for men because guess what? Um, not only are you taking over, uh, an equal, a more equal portion of the labor, but you also feel more empowered in the relationship. And I think that mm-hmm. there's a lot of guys who like, they don't know what the hell to do when their woman isn't around. Uh, yeah. they don't know how to, how to make themselves some food. They don't know how to do, you know, really much of anything. And so, uh, I think that that puts a lot of guys at a real disadvantage. Mm, yeah, I agree. And I, working with that, uh, labor thing, the workplace, I, I think her point, Liz's point about the intangibles, the mental labor were, were amazing. I, I, it made me think, I mean, like, you know, mm-hmm. in this age where we live right now in the information age where information and processing information and managing information is so powerful and central and important here, are, here are women doing it all the time at, at this level, right. Yeah. And getting zero, zero recognition for it. I mean, and they really are. That's I mean, right. women do all of mm-hmm. that mental work, you know, keeping track of the kids' appointments and, and you know, and all that stuff, which is crucial to a functioning family. Totally crucial, right? That's right. And 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 men right. just say, you know, just expect them to do it, and think would think would think it was weird if they didn't. I mean, it's like, whereas yeah, it's true. I mean, and it's like we got to do that too, right? We have to, yeah. And, and in ways that are very intangible, like you can't measure them necessarily, but they're so important. That's right. I, I also, but they're so important. I also loved what she said about art and how to approach art as, as part of life and, and this, this sort of artificial separation between artists and everyone else. I thought that was wonderful. She was great. I, you yeah. know, it, was, it was really a pleasure listening she's to her. She's very, very insightful. Yeah. It was, she's very, very insightful. And, and I'm with you guys. I 
I take an active, I, for years now, I've been really focusing on this, uh, on paid because I watch my wife do so much more than I do. And we both have full-time jobs, right? We do both do all this kind of stuff. And, and again, it's mostly more of the things is that the intangible stuff is, and, and having to the mental and emotional energy that it takes to make, to keep that, those many balls in the air is is a lot it's a lot and it's and like you said it's not as quantifiable as how much money did i make this year or or various ways of productivity measuring or gdp right and that's why it's just invisible and that's going to be the title of the show right is invisible work and it Mm -hmm. is so fucking critical um well look guys i i I know we could probably do uh talk more about this as well um but uh, i don't we don't want to go too long here so i want to uh thank everybody for being here thank you guys for being here and uh remember that if you like our show to make sure to subscribe leave a review check out our patreon and tell your friends to listen new episodes post mondays at noon eastern on youtube and all the major podcast channels we also publish new articles regularly in our journal at theradicalsecular.com. I'm Christoph Defoe. Thank you for being here. And remember that wherever you are, you can be radically secular. The Radical Secular Podcast is written and produced by Christoph Defoe, Sean Prophet, and Joe Okipinti. Logo and main title designed by Tim Stetner. Post-production and original theme music by Sean Prophet. Special thanks to our support team, Lindsay Brightman, Jillian Sky Jacobs, and Lori Field Okipinti. Mm-hmm.